Alright, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10 is where we'll be again this morning. We are, as I mentioned last week, going to extend our focus on uh, the May month of missions to June. Pastor Jim, I was thinking in reality, the truth of the matter is, when we understand the gospel rightly, it's always about missions. I want to talk with you again this morning about worship being a means of grace. Worship being a means of grace. You guys hear me okay or not? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this Lord's Day. God, we are grateful for how good you are to us. We're grateful for what we read in our scripture reading this morning. That you sent a king. That you sent the Messiah. And that he would shepherd his people. Father, we need to be shepherded. We are your sheep. We are the people of your pasture by your grace. And so, Father, we pray, God, even now, that through the ministry of your spirit to your people, to our hearts, that you'll take your word, and first of all, you'll unfold it for us. Lord, if, if you don't help us to see what we're going to read and help us understand, then we'll sit here and gather information only. We need our spiritual eyes open, and we need our spiritual ears open. And Father, we need our hearts ready to receive your word, to receive what's shared from your word. And then we need you to help us to apply it. So we pray, God, for your spirit's illumination, your spirit's, your spirit's guidance, the Holy Spirit's conviction. God, we ultimately need your spirit to minister to us so that we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another, so that we can become more like Jesus. So God, it's a bold prayer. It's a prayer that we pray, that we recognize we cannot do on our own. But it's a prayer that we offer because we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need because of our great high priest Christ. So help us now, we pray. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. As we return to Leviticus chapter 10 together this morning, I want to remind you of what we learned about last week when it comes to the significance of approaching a holy God. For those of you that were able to be here, for those of you that listened online, I don't know about you, but it's still resonating in my heart resonated in my heart all week and it resonated the week prior the holiness of God we sang about it this morning that when we come to worship God we are worshiping a thrice holy God a righteous God a good God and a gracious God and we saw from our text last week that God is just as well he is a just God this passage led us, if you remember, to explore a question that I put before you, and I hope we answered it from the text. 
and from the canon of Scripture itself, which is this, how can a sinner worship a holy God? Or how can a holy God accept a sinner's worship? And if you remember, I answered it in three ways. And the first answer that we came up with is really the most important, which is only through Christ. We can only approach the throne of grace, we can only worship a holy God because of Christ. There is no other reason. There will never be another reason. He is the only reason that we can approach God. He is our great high priest. He is our mediator. He is the one that's blood satisfied the Father's wrath for sinners, for his people. And because of Christ's person and Christ's work, we are able to go before God. We are reconciled with God. If you're in the faith, and we can worship God. We also talked about having a heart attitude of fear, the fear of God and humility, that when we gather together to worship God, that we do so with much fear and much trembling, that while, yes, we're able to boldly approach the throne of grace because of Christ, heeding the counsel of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, we need to remember who it is we're approaching and let our words be few. Then we also talked about that when we worship God, we worship according to His Word. And that really is what I want to expand on this morning, is to help us think through how God in His goodness and God in His grace has given us His Word to guide and regulate our worship. So look with me back at the text in Leviticus 10. We're going to reread verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to begin to talk about how God's Word helps us worship Him rightly. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord then Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So last week, I'm not going to go through all of it again. If you weren't here, you missed it, or you want to listen to it again, you can find it on the church's Facebook page or on our website. But last week what we really learned is that Nadab and Abihu went against the clear commands of Scripture and approached God in worship in a way that he had not prescribed. And we saw just from a simple reading of the text in verse 2 that it cost them their lives in God's just judgment. The Bible says that they offered unauthorized fire. If you're reading the King James, I believe it says strange fire. And all it's getting at is the things that we discussed last week that they, again, went against God's command. 
which the end of verse 1 is helpful, and it tells us when it says they did basically what he had not commanded them. So I want us to pause here, and I want us to think about this the rest of our time together, because there's a lesson that we need to think about this morning. And it's this. God's Word regulates how we worship. God's Word regulates how we worship. Let me say the same thing a little differently. We don't have the right, we don't have the freedom, we really don't even have the wisdom to approach God in any other way. God did for us what we needed, which was to show us how to worship Him, who He is and what He's like and what He requires of us. And when you read the Scriptures, one of the things when it comes to corporate worship, when it comes to worshiping God that we have to understand, a dot we have to connect is the word regulates how we approach Him. Calvin said this, Let us learn to so attend God's command as not to corrupt His worship by strange inventions. Let me read that again. Let us learn to so attend God's command as not to corrupt His worship by strange inventions. Now if we took just a moment and we were to survey the evangelical culture at large, one of the things that we would see is that we are eat up as an evangelical culture with strange inventions when it comes to worshiping God. There are all kinds of things that people are trying to do, whether it's drama or skits, but the scriptures don't prescribe. And some even move beyond that to things that are even more out of bounds. For example, there has been a movement over the years to substitute the fruit of the vine and the, the bread that represents Christ's body with some other types of material. Right? So instead of drinking wine or drinking grape juice or whatever fruit of the vine that's, that's used for communion, which the scriptures prescribe, some have tried to use soda or other beverages. That's what I'm talking about. Those are strange inventions that are added by human wisdom that are out of the bounds of Scripture. We don't have the right to change it. We don't have a right to do any of these things. It's off limits. Now, I think we know this. It shouldn't surprise us that God's Word regulates worship, should it? Because God's Word is sufficient. We've talked about that. God's Word is complete. We've talked about that. God's Word is inspired and inerrant. We've talked about that. And God in His goodness has given us exactly what we need for life and godliness. And that would include corporate worship. So I want you to think about with me for just a minute the book of Genesis. If we were to go to the book of Genesis and do a quick study of Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3... We've talked about this over the years as well. Genesis 1 through, the, through 11, chapters 1 through 11 are really the foundation for our faith. And when you look at chapters 1, 2, and 3 in particular, one of the things that you notice very clearly, if you think about it in your mind, is when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, He did not leave them to themselves, did He? He did not say, here you go, do whatever you want, did He? 
No, he didn't. In fact, when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and you look at Genesis chapter 2, one of the things that's very clear in those two chapters is God was very specific. God is a God of order. God is a God of design. God is a God that gives commands that are good to His people. And when you look at Genesis 1 and you look at Genesis 2, one of the things that you notice very clearly is God's Word as He spoke to Adam and Eve regulated life in the garden. He told them what to do. He told them what to eat. He told them they were to work. He told them they were to be fruitful and multiply. And He told them what was also off limits, what was prohibited. So when we look at the rest of Scripture, it shouldn't surprise us that as the Scripture unfolds and, and Revelation unfolds for us in the, in the canon of Scripture, it shouldn't surprise us that God still regulates worship, not only for Adam and Eve, but for us as well. We could take a quick stop in chapter 3 and even survey our own life now and our culture now and our world now and realize the devastating effects of going against God's created design. Because in chapter 3, what happened to Adam and Eve? They didn't fulfill their created purpose, and instead of worshiping God alone, they worshiped themselves and usurped God's authority by placing their authority above God's authority and rebelled against God's clear command. They basically said this, God, we want to be worshipped. We want to be like God. We want to be like you. And they went against God's regulative principle. We can fast forward to Exodus chapter 20. In fact, I'd like for you to go there with me, Exodus chapter 20. Most of you probably already know when you get to Exodus chapter 20 what you find in the first couple of verses that are there. I'll give you a hint while you're turning there, either with your phone or your tablet or your Bible. There are ten of them where we find the Ten Commandments. So one of the things that we see is God not only regulated life in the garden, but God regulates life by His Word for His people as He's setting up the nation of Israel and He's getting them ready for the Messiah. And I want you to look with me at the first three verses. God is so clear. He's so good. He's so kind. We need this because of Genesis 3. We need this prior to Genesis 3. We need God to tell us who He is, what He's like, and how to worship Him. Look at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What is he doing when it comes to worship? What is he regulating when it comes to worship? Why is this so significant? What's so significant about this moment? What God is doing is he is clearly telling us who to worship. He's saying, worship me. I am Yahweh. I am the God who's self-existence. I existent. I am the God who's always existed. I am eternal. I am the mighty one. I am the great I am. There is no one beside me. Who do we worship? We worship God. 
go to verse 4. Not only did he tell us who to worship, but he told us how. Verse 4. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Who are we to worship? God. No other gods before him. No other gods beside him. How are we to worship? Not according to our own inventions. We are not allowed to take a rock. We are not allowed to take a piece of wood, Mr. Bill, and fashion it and shape it and put eyes on it and put ears on it and put hands on it and worship and bow down or serve them. God said that's off limits. Pastor Jim, if we went back to Romans 1, when you preached through Romans 1 so well, if we went to Romans 1, we could see the essence of idolatry in Romans 1 where we're told that it's the exchange of the worship of the Creator for the created things. So the worship of the created things might look like worshiping a rock or a stone or a statue, but in the heart, before it becomes a, a rock or a stone or a statue that we worship, at the heart level, it's an imagination, it's a human invention, it's a thought that starts in our heart and goes to our mind and leads to action. And in chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, God says, don't worship not only any other gods but me, but don't worship in this way. God has prescribed and God has regulated how we are to worship Him. Now, Why is it that we struggle with that so much? Why is it that we struggle with that so much? I mean, it's so clear, is it not? But I've told you this before about myself, and I did it again this morning. Pastor Eric, you're praying. And as you're praying to our Almighty God, my mind starts wondering. And I start thinking about other things. And I have to, I have to take those thoughts captive and and rein those in, it's sad that even for 30 seconds I can't focus with laser-like focus when it comes to praying before the Almighty God. I don't think I'm alone in that. Why is it that it's a continual struggle? I can tell you that week after week after week that I struggle with that. Well, the root issue, I think we would all agree, really is our Weak flesh, we know, but more than deeper than that is our is our pride. So I want you to go with me to Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-six. Because one of the things that you need to understand is Nadab and Abihu were not the only people that tried to offer unauthorized fire before God. When you come to Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-six, there's another brother that did the exact same thing. King Uzziah. Second Chronicles chapter 26. 
There's a lot to read there. You can read the whole chapter to get a better picture of of what he was like and how far he fell here. But look at verse 15. In Jerusalem, he made machines, talking about Uzziah, invented by skillful men to be on the towers, on the corners, to shoot arrows and great stones. That's pretty awesome. That'd be kind of fun to think about, talk about, but let's move on. And his fame spread far. Now listen to this. This is like this is like the warning light on your dashboard right now. We need to be paying attention. For he was marvelously helped till he was strong. Verse 16. But when he was strong, he grew proud in his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Let's think about that for a moment when we looked at Exodus chapter 30 last week. If we just thought about Exodus chapter 30, was, was King Uzziah allowed to do that? No. It's, a, it's an echo back to Leviticus chapter 10, is it not? He is breaking God's regulated commands of how to worship Him. And God in His grace puts people in His path to intervene. But Uzziah doesn't listen. Look at verse 17. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. Man, that's awesome. These guys loved God. They were passionate about God's glory. They loved God's word. And they were passionate about right worship of God. May it be said of us at Everglades that our men are men of valor, that they love God. It's awesome. And they withstood King Uzziah. They didn't bow down to cultural pressure. They didn't bow down to the fact that this was the king. They feared God more than any human, even the king that could take their life. Man, we need some men like that, amen? Listen to what they said. Eighty-one priests, counting Azariah. Eighty-one people. Eighty-one people. Think about that, telling him what we're about to read. It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. Oh, but look at verse 19. His heart's already gone the wrong direction. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, God is just and jealous. Remember what we read in verse 5 of Exodus 20? He's jealous for his own glory. Leprosy broke out on Uzziah's forehead. In the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and the priest looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. This is sad, verse 21. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper, lived in a separate house. 
for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. You could go back and read the book of the law and see what all that means in regards to leprosy and, and what that meant socially and what that meant importantly to the worship of God and where they could and where they could not go. I would encourage you to do that. You'll get a, a better understanding of the significance of this moment. But do you see Uzziah's pride? He goes against God's word. He goes against God's priests. He goes against godly wise counsel. And he still wants to do his own thing. Brothers and sisters, let's be mindful of how God wants to be worshipped. Let's be mindful of His Word. Let's be mindful of what He says in His Word. We don't have the right. We don't have the freedom. We don't have the wisdom to do anything and everything that we want. God has prescribed how we come to Him. Now, you should be thinking this question. What does this mean for us today? We live in the 21st century. Everything that you've been studying so far is the Old Testament. Didn't Christ fulfill the law? So what does this mean for us today? Those are good questions. And we should be thinking in that direction. You know what that means for us today? Even though we're in the 21st century, and yes, Christ has fulfilled the law, God has still regulated worship. We still don't have the right and we still don't have the freedom, and we still don't have the ability to use our human wisdom to approach God in any way that we want. And neither do we have the freedom to worship God in any way that we want unless Scripture clearly forbids it. God has said clearly how we're to worship Him. It's not that we have enough freedom to do whatever we want and the Scripture forbids it, so therefore we can't do it. It is true if the Scripture forbids it, we can't do it. But what I'm saying is, God is even more clear than that. God has regulated how we are to worship Him. So, what does the Bible teach in regards to us when it comes to how we worship God? I'm going to give you five truths, if you will, in regards to what's called the regulative principle of worship. First of all, when we gather together on the Lord's Day, we are to read the Word. So turn with me to 1 Timothy. We are to read the Word. So while you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 4, have you ever wondered why we take time out in the worship service to read the Word? You ever wondered that? You ever thought, well, maybe it's just a tradition that we do. Maybe it's just a thing that we do. We say we have a high view of Scripture, and so therefore the pastors just got together and said, well, since we have a high view of Scripture, well, let's, just, let's just read the Word together. Well, part of that's true, but there's more to it than that. Look at verse 13, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to what? The public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. 
So Paul is writing, we know, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy to help him organize churches. And when you look at chapter 4, verse 13, it's very clear that when we gather together on the Lord's Day as God's people, as a family, one of the things that we do that God has prescribed for us to do is to read the Word together. By the way, this is why family worship is so important that you gather together as a family and you read the word together on a regular basis because it trains your children that when you gather together on the Lord's Day that you've already been in the word and so it's normal then for the family like us to read the word. We've already been reading it throughout the week. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray for the scripture reading Pray for the scripture reading each week. It would be a good thing to pray that God in his word, as it's read, that the spirit would take the word and encourage his people, save a sinner, convict us to get right with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hear me very carefully. I believe God has called me to preach, and I would rather preach than anything else in the world. I love it. But when we read God's Word, what we read is more important than anything I could say about God's Word. It's important to read the Scriptures. So we read the Word together. Secondly, we preach the Word. We preach the Word. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. Caruso. Be a herald, Pastor Jim. Be a herald. Speak for God. Preach the word. The word. Let me say it again. The word. Thank you, Mr. Bill. Not my opinion. Not cultural ideas or thoughts. Not human philosophies. But the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So when we gather together on the Lord's Day, one of the things that we do is we preach the Word. We preach the Word. We open the Word of God. We read the Word of God. The pastor then tries to explain the Word of God and apply the Word of God underneath the authority of God and hopefully helped much by the Spirit of God. 
Now, we need to do a little bit of work here, do we not? Because there are differing styles of preaching. Some people preach topically, which we don't do here. Some people preach thematic messages, which is kind of what we're doing when we study the May month of missions. And there are times when we preach topical messages. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for that too. But by and large, 97 or 98 or 99.99999 percent of the time what you're going to get from us at Everglades is an expository sermon where we're going to take the word of God and strive to the best of our ability to explain it to interpret it to apply it that's what we're going to try to do so when we gather on the Lord's Day, that's what we need. God has prescribed for us to do that, and so therefore, that's what we do. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10. Hold your place in Timothy, because we'll come back. I want to show you something important. You can look at Nehemiah 8 as well, but for time's sake, we're not going to go to Nehemiah 8. But I want you to look at Leviticus 10. And you can read verses 4 through 7 on your own, but I want you to look at verse 8. This is after Nadab and Abihu's death. Notice what God says. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no water, strong drink. You are sons with you. When you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Ah, listen to verse 10 and 11. The priests, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. Now listen to verse 11. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. What were the jobs of the priests? To open the book, to read the book, to explain the book, and apply the book, and call God's people to follow God's word. That's what it's about. Third, so we read the Word, we preach the Word, third, we pray the Word. And I'm not going to talk about this because Pastor Jim did a very good job on this already. But if you were to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, you would see that we're called to pray by lifting up holy hands to God. If you were to look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, where Jesus cleanses the temple and says, my house should be a what? A house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. We are to pray the word when we gather together. So we read the word, we preach the word, we pray the word. Number four, we sing the word. We sing the word. Now, I do want you to look with me at Ephesians 5. This thing go dead. That's one, two. All right, here we go. Look at Ephesians 5. 
Let me catch up with you. No, that's all right, buddy. I'll just use this one. Thank you, though. I'm grateful for these young men who faithfully serve us each week, aren't you? Look at verse 19, Ephesians chapter 5. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So when we gather together, what are we to sing? Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Again, we don't have the right, we don't have the freedom to come up with whatever we want to sing. God has made it very clear. You can go to Colossians chapter 3 and look at verse 16. And it says almost the exact same thing. Stephanie and Yvonne and Bill, Amy and Bill, those of you that have been around Everglades for a long time, I praise God for how far we've come in our worship. We've come a long way. Remember the day Stephanie of I worship? Remember that? Remember the days of those awkward songs where you're singing along with something else and it always pauses when you're not ready or then even more importantly than that, there wasn't a lot of substance to what we were singing. When we sing psalms, we're singing God's Word. You ever thought about the fact that God cares so much about what we sing that He gave us an entire book of the Bible that has 150 chapters that's devoted to what we should be singing. The book of Psalms is a hymn book. So when we sing Psalm 23, and last week and the week before and the week before and the week before, we sang Psalm 1, we're singing inspired scripture, a hymn book that God has put there to regulate how we are to worship Him. And then God's given some other commands that we can sing hymns and so it matters what we sing that what we sing has substance to it that it should be like we're singing scripture awesome you think about that so we sing the word we pray the word we preach the word we read the word and finally we see the word what do I mean by that well Pastor Eric has already taught us so has Pastor Tom you already know the answer to this question. How do we see the Word? I don't mean with your eyes when you're reading the Bible. What do I mean? Through the Lord's Supper and Baptism. The picture of the Gospel. We see the Gospel on display. By the way, it's such an important deal that it regulates our worship that unless providentially hindered let us not forget we covenanted together to be there to celebrate the Lord's Supper and we covenanted together to be there when someone's baptized we've made a promise but that's how important it is that we understand <coughs> part of how God regulates worship listen these five truths make up the regulative principle that guides how we are to approach God. These are the five things that we ought to be about. In fact, it was so important that 
that the framers of the Second London Confession wrote something about it. So if you have your copy of the Confession and you want to follow along, turn to page 44. They wrote an entire section on the Sabbath and how to worship on the Sabbath. And I want to take you to two places. Page 44. Look at paragraph 1. The light of nature demonstrates that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all. He is just and good and does good to everyone. Therefore, he should be feared, loved, praised, called on, trusted in, served with all the heart and all the soul and all the strength. Now listen. But the acceptable way to worship the true God is instituted by him. And it is delimited or limited by his own revealed will. Thus, he may not be worshipped according to human imagination or inventions or the suggestions of Satan. Nor through any visible representations nor in any other way that is not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. Go over now, please, page 45 and look at section 22, paragraph 5. The elements of religious worship of God include reading the scriptures, preaching, and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as well as the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Isn't that awesome? So one of the things that I want you to understand is as our, is as our church has tried to reform back to the Bible, that we are joining those that have gone before us that see these same truths in the exact same way and understand that in, that in wisdom it would be right for us to fall underneath the Scriptures and worship according to the way that God has regulated. Now maybe you're thinking, Doug, you just talked for 30 minutes about something this is just what we do every week. I already knew this. Maybe that's true. A lot of times we do stuff without knowing why we do stuff. And not only that, but we need to be reminded constantly of why we do what we do. So that's passed on to the next generation. Let me end with this. Go back to Leviticus chapter 10. But you didn't notice one thing very quickly look at verse 3 that's what the Bible says then Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord has said it's so powerful among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, or I will be set apart as holy. I will not be seen as common. I will not be watered down. I will not be changed. I will 
be set apart in their hearts by those who are near me and before all the people I will be glorified when we worship God according to his word and his way as he's regulated and prescribed in the scriptures there's a nearness that comes between God and his people and his people and God and in our hearts we recognize that God is holy that God is righteous and that God is good and that God is worthy of worship and praise. And then he'll be glorified. Pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. So much that needs to be still said. So much that was said. I pray, God, that you take what was shared, what was read, and you plant it down deep in our hearts. And that it will bear fruit that will remain. God, help us not be like Uzziah, who just straight up was prideful. He wouldn't listen to your word. He wouldn't listen to the spiritual leadership that was there. He just did his own thing to his destruction. Help us not be like Nadab and Abihu, God. One lesson we learn is that you have clearly regulated how we are to worship you. And John 4 tells us we are to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, help us be mindful. It's a weighty thing for sure. But it is a good thing. This is good news. How can sinners have worship that's acceptable to a holy and righteous God through Christ when done according to the Scriptures? Help us to understand that, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we close our time of worship with a song.